You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Hello, kitties, and welcome to my world. I would come over and say hello to you, but it's just as easy for you to come to me. Yes, yes, come in. You've come to the right place. This is where you'll learn everything there is to know about your furry feline friends. I'm talking about cats. Yes, I know. We are positively perfect pets. What do you mean I have attitude? Why, of course I do. I'm a cat. It's called Catitude. As I was saying, this show is all about cats. Cats and, um, oh yes, uh, cats. So let me introduce you to my accomplice, I mean assistant and host of Catitude, Tom Doc. Okay, Tom, tell them how wonderful we cats are. It's okay, you have my permission. Welcome back to the Catitude Channel on Pet Life Radio. I am your host, Tom Doc, and once again, we are here this week to talk about some different breeds of cats and feline health problems and all sorts of wonderful things with our cats. But I have some exciting news, and I think you guys will really appreciate this. Back on July 20th, some of you may have heard of this already, but during the American Veterinary Medical Association's annual meeting down in New Orleans, Hills Pet Nutrition, a lot of you feed Hills Science Diets or maybe even Hills Prescription Diets for your cats, actually donated its feline genome database to the Morris Animal Foundation. Now this is very, very huge because now we can start studying genetic data so that we can understand the biochemical differences between a healthy cat and a cat who's sick or an unhealthy cat. Now Hills has done this for for years where they've looked at how genetics and nutrition go together and they've been able to develop their diets based on a lot of this information but now the Morris Animal Foundation has this and they can actually start looking at how can we really help these cats and understand these genetic diseases. Now just so you understand a little bit you guys know that I love to talk about DNA. Well the feline genome, the DNA, what it is is we've identified more than three million single nucleotide polymorphisms. Now these are also in shorthand known as SNPs, SNPs. They are small deviations in normal or common feline DNA that can be used as markers to track down genes that are responsible for genetic diseases. Now this is great because we share about 250 genetic diseases with our feline friends. So these donation or this donation by Hills can also lead to discoveries that will affect human health as well. So absolutely very, very excited about it. And I think it's going to really put our cats back on the maps as far as healthcare goes. I think we all know about the sad stories this summer, how the cat is certainly the most popular pet in the United States, but ranks far behind the dogs as far as the type of care that they receive. Now, we all know our cats to be very independent and can take care of themselves, but we need to make sure that they get into the veterinarian on a regular basis just so they don't have something crop up that's going to be around for a while and cause problems later on. It's always better to take care of a small issue before it turns into a great big problem. So very exciting news. You can go to the AVMA website, avma.org, to see that press release. And um, Hill's just absolutely wonderful. They've made a million-dollar commitment, a $1 million commitment to the Morris Animal Foundation to establish this coalition for feline genomic research. Very exciting news. Well, let's get on to today's show. Last time we talked about all the different types of 
hair mutations, and we've got a few more out there, believe it or not. And so we're going to briefly discuss the American wire hairs today, the Perms, and everybody's favorite, um, especially if you're a Friends aficionado, if you like to watch the show Friends, the Sphinx Cat. You guys remember that Rachel got herself a cat when she was getting ready to move out um, with Monica, and it ended up being a Sphinx cat, and unfortunately, I don't think they portrayed the cat very well. It was very funny, but they didn't portray the cat very well. Before we get started on that, we do need to take a break for our sponsors, but I want to leave you, before we go, with a little trivia question, and it's a little bit different this week. It's more of a riddle than an actual trivia question. Now, the Sphinx cat is named be after the ancient Egyptian or ancient Greek myth of the Sphinx, who, of course, had the face and the voice of a beautiful virgin and the body of a lion and, and all sorts of other mixed-up creatures. And the Sphinx would always ask people riddles. And, of course, if they got the riddle right, well, they got to you know pass on their way, or they, in Oedipus's case, they got a kingdom. But if they got the riddle wrong, most often they got eaten by the Sphinx. So, here's a riddle, and really think about it before you answer. As I went to St. Ives, I met a man with seven wives. Each wife had seven sacks. Each sack had seven cats. Each cat had seven kits. Kits, cats, sacks, and wives. How many were going to St. Ives? Again, one man, seven wives. Each wife has seven sacks. Each sack has seven cats. Each cat has seven kits. So how many altogether were going to St. Ives? You really got to think about this one. As I went to St. Ives, I met a man with seven wives. We'll be right back after we hear from our sponsors, and I'll give you the answer. Stay tuned. Ooh, do I hear a can being opened? I believe I smell tuna. Catitude will return after these messages. That should give me enough time to investigate what's going on in the kitchen. Don't have a hissy fit. We'll be right back. I love cleaning the litter box, said no one ever. Luckily, there's World's Best Cat Litter, the litter that promises less mess with less litter. Only World's Best Cat Litter uses the concentrated power of corn to quickly trap odors in tight clumps. And quick clumping means you never have to chisel or scrape the box. Less cleanup with less wasted litter? That's a litter bit amazing. Save $2 on World's Best Cat Litter. Visit www.saveonworldsbest.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com How dare they open a can of tuna and make a sandwich out of it? I can see why some of my celebrity pals prefer lasagna. Well, anyway, I did manage to grab myself the canary while I was in there. Quiet, bird. We're going to hear the rest of my show, Catitude. If you behave, I may not eat you. Until later. Mm. Okay, Tom, you may continue. Okay, we are back on the air at Catitude Channel at Pet Life Radio. I am Tom, and being the cat-like person, I thought I would give a little Sphinx riddle. Now, this was not the original Sphinx riddle. I don't want to confuse anybody, but the original Sphinx riddle has been used so many times in many books, including Lord of the Rings, that... Um, decided to look up a different riddle, and this is called a world riddle. As I went to St. Ives, I met a man with seven wives. Each wife had seven sacks. Each sack had seven cats. Each cat had seven kits. Kits, cats, sacks, and wives. How many were going to St. Ives? 
Did you guess just one? That's right, you. You are the only person going to St. Ives. The riddle implies that the other people are going the other direction, because in that day and age, in the Middle Ages, which is where this riddle is probably from, when you met someone, they were generally going the opposite direction as you. So I hope you didn't do too much math and get the calculators out and try to add up all those sevens, because that would have been a lot. There was only one person going to St. Ives. Okay, let's talk about some of these hairless cats and and weird-haired cats or whatever you want to call them. Um, American wire hairs. Here's a cat that's very, very rare. Um, It is a naturally occurring cat here in the United States. It is one of only four breeds that have been created here in the United States. They include the Maine Coon, of course, there are American Shorthairs, the American Curl, which we're going to talk about in an upcoming show, and the American Wire Hair. Back in 1966 in upstate New York, again, here's a litter of barn kittens. There were five kittens born, but evidently there was a weasel attack, and only a male and female survived. The male, his name was Council Rock Farm Adam, or Council Rock Farm Adam, and he was bred to his sister, and they did produce more wire hairs. And now Adam is basically, he was very aptly named, obviously, because all wire hairs now can trace back to Adam. They started using American short hairs as outcrosses because obviously anytime you're dealing with a small gene pool like this, you're going to have lots of mutational type problems. And so in order to increase that hybrid vigor, you generally do an outcross and they used American short hairs. They were accepted for registration in 1967 by the CFA, so very quick acceptance. And they were accepted for championship competition in 1978. Now these guys, unlike the Devon Rexes or the Cornish Rexes that we've talked about in previous shows, this mutation of the wire hair is a dominant mutation. However, it is incomplete. And what that means is it doesn't always, every cat in the litter is not going to look exactly the same, somewhat like you see with the Rexes or like you would see with a Siamese or something like that. There's a big variety of texture among the wire hairs. But you can tell you've got a wire hair if the whiskers are wired at birth and sometimes you can see the whole coat being wired. The coat is hard and springy and they do have all three hair types which we've talked about before the guard hair, the on, and the down but all of them are rough and very crooked. These are medium to large cats with the males being bigger than females and that's pretty typical with most of our cats. You can find them in almost any color, almost any pattern and they're all accepted for championship competition. According to a lot of the websites that I took a look at, these females of the American wire hairs tend to have a silent season. In other words, when they come into heat, they don't tend to be as vocal as other cats. And if you've ever, if you breed cats or if you've ever dealt with a female cat who is in season, it can be very annoying. Now, I've been very lucky. All my Persians that I bred were very quiet. And even my Siamese, my original Siamese, was a fairly quiet cat. And it was actually very surprising. But breeders say that breeding is very difficult. And, of course, that's going to mean, of course, pricing is going to be higher because there's fewer kittens. But breeding is difficult because they don't know when the females are coming into season. Evidently, they are very people-oriented and very good with children, and so far, they've not reported any health problems at all. And so, that's a good thing, especially since there's such a small gene pool. Hopefully, that will continue. So, not a lot of information there about American wire hairs, but it is a little bit different. You can, of course, see them at the CFA website uh, and see, you know, their terrier-looking type of hair. 
you can also see a cat, a different breed called the Laperm. Now, here we are, we're in Oregon, and this is back in 1982, and once again, I don't know what it is about barn cats, but barn cats keep having, I guess it's because they've got more hybrid vigor, these strange mutations in their litters, and there's a litter of six kittens on a cherry farm. Now, this farm, interestingly enough, was on sacred territory of the Wishram Indians, and that's an interesting trivia point, because now, breeders of the La Perm cat will use Native American names for their catteries and for their kittens. In fact, even La Perm is just simply a derivation of a French word meaning curly. And these cats have curly hair. The mom of these kittens was a brown tabby named Speedy. And this kitten that was born was born apparently bald, but then within three to four months, he grew this very soft, very curly hair. And the owner ended up calling him Curly. Unfortunately, well, actually, fortunately, the Laperm breed is still with us, even though Curly climbed up into the engine of a pickup truck. And as those of you who have seen this, cats like the warm engine block. They'll climb up there, and then when the engine starts, the fan belt can really injure them. Luckily, that didn't happen to Curly. He got out, uh, I think, somebody banging on the hood of the truck or something like that. But luckily for the Laperm lovers, Curly was not killed. After 10 years, this lady on this cherry farm had literally dozens of cats, and she didn't do anything about controlling their breeding. She finally started to try and control the breeding so that she could potentially find another cat like Curly. And eventually it did happen. The breed started developing, and in the late 1990s, it was recognized by the CFA, and they actually just became eligible for championship status this past May of 2008. Now, you're going to still see some outcrossing going on to establish this breed. So if a Laperm is something, and again, go to cfa.org to see pictures of these guys. If a Laperm is something that you're interested in, you may see some cats in the background that are not Laperms. You may see some Rex-type cats or even some domestic shorthairs. This, too, just like the American wire hair, is a dominant gene. You can have a very wavy hair coat. You can have almost a tight ringlet, corkscrew. Basically, these are Rex type of cats, so you can kind of lump them in with the Cornish Rex and the Devon Rexes. People who breed these cats have described them as feeling kind of like mohair. Again, like American wire hairs, you can see all colors and patterns, and there are short-haired and long-haired varieties. Very lean cat, you've got kind of a semi-foreign body type, so you're going to look at them and kind of get that feeling of, of Siamese. They're very gentle cats, but very active. And again, here's a very healthy cat breed so far. We haven't noted any health problems, although veterinarians are saying that there is only one blood type noted to date, and most cats will have at least two blood types in their background. So that could be a concern if your cat developed any sort of uh, health-related problems as it would relate to a bleeding disorder or something like that. So that's a little bit about the Laperm, and again, I have to apologize for having just such short notes on these, but these breeds are so new, and there's really just not that much information out there about them. Of course, you can read uh, breed documents and breed articles at cfa.org, and I love this site. I've told you about it before. Go to MessyBeast.com. I tell you what, I haven't found anything incorrect that this woman has done so far. I think she's involved with the International Cat Association, or TICA. 
but she sure knows an awful lot about cats. In fact, I'm going to have to try to get a hold of her and see if I can have her on the show for a phone interview here in the near future because it's just fascinating where she gets all of this information. And when I was looking up information on our next breed, on the Sphinx, again, I went to the site and she's got information and pictures of bald cats from all over the world. Now, the Sphinx is a relatively new breed here in the United States, but there are actually pictures from Mexico of hairless cats from way back in 1902. This was actually in a book called The Book of the Cat that was published in 1903. And evidently some of the Inca Indians and some of the other Native Americans and Indians in um, the Southwest, this was a very common occurrence for them. Of course, we didn't see it very much. It does show up around the world about every 15 years. In recent history, in 1966, there was a hairless cat born named Prune, but unfortunately she died without any descendants. Then at about the same time, hairless cats started showing up in the United States and also in Toronto in the 1970s. There was a litter of hairless kittens born. They were rescued, but Again, here, somebody neutered them, so that bloodline kind of died out. However, the mother had other kittens. They exported these kittens off to Europe and crossed them with the Devon Rex. They did get hairless offspring from this litter, and that's basically the foundation of the breed. Now, this hairlessness is a recessive gene, so if you breed two sphinx together, you're going to get hairless cats, unlike some of the dominant mutations where you might get a range of, you know, the wire hair where you get a range since it's incomplete dominant from very curly wire hair to to more springy wire hair. People have described the Sphinx as having the texture of a chamois leather. Other people have said they feel like a suede hot water bottle. And this is very true. They don't have any hair. Well, they have very little hair to trap in any body heat. So they're going to radiate that body heat out. The peach fuzz that's on them isn't going to keep any heat trapped next to the body. So they're always going to feel very, very warm to the touch. Believe it or not, you can see all different markings and all different colors in Sphinx cats because their skin will be the color that their hair coat would have grown out if they were a full-coated cat. These cats are described as being extroverts, very lively, acrobatic, very dog-like with regards to attention, even to a fact where they'll follow you wagging their tails. Health-wise, we are still seeing what's going to go on with the Sphinx. Um, the oils do build up on the skin, so this is a cat that you do have to bathe on a pretty regular basis. In fact, most sites are recommending once a week. And they are a cat that is going to be prone to sunburns. So this is not a cat that you're going to want to let outside. Also, since they don't have the hair to hold their heat in, they're going to get cold very often. And so they were not going to handle inclement weather very well. So definitely an indoor cat. And they appreciate that. They like to find the warm bodies to snuggle up against, whether it's human or dog or, or other cats. Now, we talked about at the beginning of the show how if you watch the Friends comedy, which is over now, but in one of the seasons, Rachel went out and got a cat and she got a hairless cat. But the cat was described as being very aggressive, very mean, very hateful and spiteful. And everything I've read about Sphinx cats so far, that is totally opposite of them. They are very much a cat that loves to be around their owner and a very, very people-oriented. And if you think about it, you know, they don't have any hair. We don't have a lot of hair. So, you know, we're kind of two species that are kind of stuck together, as it were. You know, I'm reading through this Messy Beast website right now, and it's actually kind of scary with these 
all the pictures that she's got. There's some very odd looking cats up here. You would really be surprised with the sparseness of hair or the lack totally of hair. Even a long-haired hairless cat, if you can believe it or not. Actually, the long-haired hairless cat started out as a April Fool's joke on a mailing list, on an email list, and it was kind of poking fun at breed classifications because, you know, hairlessness is a recessive gene, so you shouldn't ever get any kind of hair. But believe it or not, not too long ago, a long-haired mutant sphinx did appear. It is a neutered pet. There's a picture of the cat on the Messy Beast website. It's got very long, fine fur on the chest and kind of a little bit on the sides and very short fur on the legs but bald completely everywhere else so just amazing what is happening and i think given the fact that hills has given so much money and the data to the morris animal foundation we're going to be finding out a lot about our kitty cat friends here in the very near future okay we're going to talk a little bit when we come back from our break about very serious disease we all know that rabies is a killer. We all know that rabies is fatal, but how many of us are still vaccinating our cats as we should be? Let's talk about that when we come back. So let's listen to our sponsors and I'll see you on the other side. Ooh, do I hear a can being opened? I believe I smell tuna. Catitude will return after these messages. That should give me enough time to investigate what's going on in the kitchen. Don't have a hissy fit. We'll be right back. Molly, here's your dinner. (coughs) Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your cat tree tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. How dare they open a can of tuna and make a sandwich out of it? I can see why some of my celebrity pals prefer lasagna. Well, anyway, I did manage to grab myself the canary while I was in there. Quiet, bird. We're going to hear the rest of my show, Catitude. If you behave, I may not eat you. Until later. Okay, Tom, you may continue. Okay, we are back for the last part of our show here today. You know, I'm just so excited talking about all these cat breeds, and and I think about how popular cats are across the United States, but then I also think about the sad fact that most cat owners, I'm sure none of you, but most cat owners don't take care of their cats the way that they should. And, you know, let me... Let me just be a little honest here with you. You know, I've got Vulcan, my cat, and I'm looking for a way to put his picture up on the website. I'll have to talk with the folks about it. Vulcan is a very big cat. He's over 20 pounds. His dad was a very big cat. His mom was a torty Siamese. And um, Vulcan is a gorgeous orange and white cat. Well, unfortunately, because of 
time commitments or, you know, just any excuse that you can think of, I didn't take care of his coat as well as I should, and he would get very matted. Well, I finally took him to my friend Nicky the other day and had him shaved down. Now, before he get mad at me, he stays inside all the time. He's not going to be sunburned. He's um, got climate control here, so I'm not too worried about him getting overly hot or, you know, really too cold because of his shave down but he actually looks like a little lion now with the orange and white and and the mane around him and the big poof on his tail <laughs> nikki did a great job but it really stresses the importance of how we should take care of our cats and it, i know it's a busy world and i'm going to do a much better job of brushing him now once his hair starts growing back uh, really sorry vulcan as he's staring at me right now well, let's talk a little bit more about how we can take care of our cats health-wise. And I think one of the most important things that we often tend to forget about is our cats are prone to rabies. Now, when I say rabies, you're going to picture a wild animal that's acting weird, or maybe even you're going to picture Cujo, the great big St. Bernard from the Stephen King novel. Foam slathering from his mouth, getting ready to lunge, he's preparing to attack. But our cats are also very susceptible. And in fact, in, I believe... South Carolina, or maybe it was Vermont just this past week as I'm recording this show, there was a domestic cat, a family cat that was found with rabies. So this virus raises its head every year. It's waiting for opportunity to strike. And although we don't see rabies very often here in the United States, it's still out there. It's not gone. The really sad thing is more than 55,000 people die every year from rabies around the world. Now, most of these deaths will happen in Asia and Africa, but it's sad because about 100 children die every day. So that's more than 36,000 kids every year die from rabies. Now, most of this is because of dogs. There's still a lot of wild dogs and rabid dogs and stray dogs, feral dogs, whatever you want to call them, in a lot of these developing countries, and they've not put the vaccine programs into place as we have here in the United States or, or Europe or Canada. You know, we've done a good job of helping to control rabies. But these poor people across the world are still dealing with rabies on a almost daily basis. It's said that about one person, well, in fact, one person is killed by this disease every 10 minutes. That's a very, very scary thought for a disease that we we thought we had under control. Now, for those of you who don't know, rabies is a viral disease and it can affect any warm-blooded animal. Because humans have been so closely associated with dogs, we tended to bring this killer, this rabies virus, home to our families. And there are people out there, maybe even listening to this show right now, that can remember rabid dogs running loose in their neighborhoods. It hasn't been that long ago. We're only talking 60 or 70 years ago that rabies was still very common even here in the United States. And it's been the veterinarians and the pet owners who take their dogs in to be vaccinated who have helped to control rabies in dogs. The CDC, the Centers for Disease Control here in the United States, has even said, guess what? Canine rabies is extinct here in the United States. But you got to be careful when you say things like that, because most people don't understand that there are a variety of rabies strains. There's skunk rabies, bat rabies, fox rabies, raccoon rabies, and of course there was canine rabies. Now, canine rabies may not be around in the United States, but that doesn't necessarily mean that a raccoon couldn't bite your dog or 
potentially your cat, since we're here on Catitude Channel, and give your pet rabies. So what I'm afraid of and what veterinarians are afraid of, and we're already seeing this, um, some of the State Board of Health are saying this, that vaccines are down because people say, why should we vaccinate? And us cat owners, we're already nervous about vaccinations because of the vaccine-associated sarcomas, and we worry about how it affects the health of our cats. But we really need to maintain this status of having very, very few rabies, and it's only going to happen through continued vigilance. We need to continue to vaccinate our cats per local laws and per veterinarian recommendations. I can give you lots of examples of how people have to be treated for being exposed to rabbit animals from all over the world, even here in the United States. If you follow animal rescue stories, there were British animal rescuers who had had to undergo prophylactic rabies vaccine because they brought a puppy back from Sri Lanka and the puppy had bitten all of them and was later found to be rabid. And this was, you know, in the dozens of people that had to be treated any time that you're dealing with rabies. And luckily here in the United States, we just generally deal with bat rabies. Everyone who's had exposure to that person or that animal that's rabid has to be treated. And so that ends up that more than 20,000 doses of human rabies vaccines are given annually here in the United States every year. That's kind of a scary fact. Well, the Alliance for Rabies Control, which is a charity that was created in the United Kingdom, has enacted a World Rabies Day. And World Rabies Day is coming up on September 28th. So that's what the fourth Saturday, I believe, fourth Sunday in September. And World Rabies Day, just basically people need to be aware of how serious rabies still is all around the world. And their goal is they want to eradicate terrestrial rabies as quickly as possible. So get rabies out of dogs, out of cats, foxes, skunks, raccoons. Now, unfortunately, there's not much we can do about rabid bats at this point in time. But they are working on vaccines for wild bats, believe it or not. You may have some activities going on in your local community for World Rabies Day. Two years ago, I believe, or maybe it was even just last year, the very first World Rabies Day saw more than 400,000 people come together from across the United States. Or, excuse me, from across the world. It's absolutely amazing that this many people are coming together. There are marathons that are happening in Manhattan, Kansas, and Atlanta, Georgia. Companies like Marielle and Novartis are getting behind this and contributing to these causes. The Alliance for Rabies Control basically wants to let people know that you can help simply by vaccinating your pet. And our cats are susceptible to rabies. They may not go outside, but bats can come inside. I don't know how easily bat rabies is transmitted to cats, but given the fact that viruses mutate a lot faster than we realize, it wouldn't surprise me that eventually a jump like that could happen. And you think about it, a bat flying around, it's rabid, your cat's batting at it, you know, trying to knock it down, and the bat, of course, is going to bite in self-defense. So it is something that we need to think about. Avoid contact with wildlife. Don't let your cats roam where they might come into contact with raccoons and foxes and skunks. Um, rabies still exist in very large reservoirs all across the United States. There's a raccoon rabies epidemic that's moving from the East Coast inland. As I've said, be very, very wary of bats. If you come into contact with a bat, you may not think that they 
are harmful or could hurt you because they're so small, but it doesn't take but one bite for you to get rabies. If you find a dead bat, if you've handled a bat, you should always send it to the local board of animal health so that they can test it and find out whether it's got rabies or not. Encourage your fellow cat owners, your fellow neighbors, all pet owners to vaccinate their pets. It's something that is good. It's going to help control this public health nuisance, really. It's a killer. I mean, if you want to see what happens to people when they get rabies, there are videos on YouTube, and it's not a pretty sight. If you're squeamish, don't go look at it. It's not a pretty sight. It's not a nice death. And so we want to eradicate rabies as quickly as possible. So as always, you can visit myvnn.com, the Veterinary News Network, to see a video talking about this. You can also visit worldrabiesday.org. World Rabies Day has wonderful information about what you can do in your community, and it gives you all the different highlights of what's happening all around the world. Well, it looks like my time is about up. Again, very, very excited, very happy to be here. We're going to start talking about some of the other oddball mutations coming out in cats, like uh, the folded ears and things like that, the curled ears that are showing up on our next show. And I also hope to have a couple guests coming up, including the author, Randy Russell. I just received his book in the mail, and I'm going to review it. And his book is called Ghost Cats of the South. And I want to take a review and and read it and let you guys know about it. And then hopefully we'll get Randy on to uh, understand his take about why he decided to do a book on ghost cats. Well, I hope you all have a good rest of the summer. And uh, school's starting for a lot of you and things are going well. Enjoy your cats. Love on them. Take care of them. And we'll see you back here at the Catitude Channel on Pet Life Radio. Bye-bye for now. Want to know what cats like to eat for breakfast? Mice Krispies, of course. Learn everything there is to know about cats on Catitude with your host, Tom Doc. Each week, we'll spotlight a cool cat breed, give up-to-date advice on cat health, and check out spiffy new cat products. So curl up on the couch every week for a perfectly enjoyable time on Catitude. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.